Hey everybody, welcome back to our painless remodeling course. This is lesson number two, where we talk a little bit about home prep. Uh, that's a topic that not a whole lot of people think about. When they think about a remodeling project, they're so concentrated on the end result and the purchases and the products that they're gonna get, uh, and any kind of recreation of space, et cetera, that they kind of neglect this front end uh, preparation time and the leading up to the actual day of construction, like on day one. So this course was created for that purpose. Uh, we wanna look at uh, the site, how do you prepare the site itself? And the site meaning the lot of which the house or the property sits. Uh, sometimes you have to do stuff to prepare the site for a lot of construction to happen, right? So where do the trucks park? Where do the materials sit, etc. And then we'll go inside and talk about how to prepare the home. And then when we're inside exclusively, we'll talk about uh, a necessity, right? Where is that, if you're going to be redoing the kitchen, where is that temporary kitchen going to be set up? How do you set it up? What do you look for? Uh, where, do, where should it be, etc. And then I wanted to talk on a topic that not a whole lot of people talk about, which is uh, boundaries. And I'm not talking about boundaries around uh, the yard or a piece of, you know, uh, an outbuilding or something. I'm talking about kind of uh, psychological boundaries, if you will, when you're talking about contractors coming onto your property and lots of workers, lots of strangers entering your, your home, your abode, right, your castle. Uh, sometimes you have to establish boundaries, and that's not to be offensive towards the contractors coming onto your site. But it's just to establish like the set of ground rules, right? So we'll talk about that a little bit uh, to hopefully set the stage for a more successful uh, and team atmosphere when we're talking about a remodel. So some terms I'd like you to kind of get your heads wrapped around. We talked a little bit about it, uh, the site itself, uh, which means, you know, that, that lot, when you bought your house, it has the the house itself and maybe a garage that's attached or not attached and everything else around it is the site including the house but we talk specifically uh, kind of the non-structural parts of a property when we talk about site or site prep uh, and then protections and in this term we're talking about protections for not only things that are on your property but also how do you protect uh, things during construction so they're, you know, free from dust, uh, theft, etc. We'll talk about barriers a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about site prep, uh, specifically around uh, landscaping and really old, respected trees that we should try to protect. You know, spend hundreds of years growing these magnificent trees sometimes, and we want to make sure that we set up barriers to protect those areas. And then the work-free zones, we talked a little bit about those boundaries, you know, the psychological boundaries, but this is kind of parallel to that. This is creating a work-free zone for you and your family, your pets, uh, so that no matter what the chaos is happening elsewhere down into the home, you have some work-free zones. So let's get into the site prep itself. Uh, for any large-scale remodel project where you have a house on a piece of property, uh, and maybe you're semi-remote or you're kind of out there a ways 
and most of the parking is going to be on site or on your property or on your lot. Uh, you want to make sure that before anybody shows up day one, uh, that you thoroughly inspect that site for hazards, uh, whether they be, you know, chemical or, you know, objects or debris that might be sharp or dangerous, uh, et cetera, so that you can either make the effort to have it removed or to uh, corral it so it can't be uh, gotten into or touched, et cetera, so that you're not held liable should anything happen in the future. Uh, this is just for your own protection. It has uh, protection for the, anybody coming on site, but it's also protect you from future litigation and, and also to inspect the site and see where things are going to go. And this could or could not be done with your contractor. Um, the architect is kind of more focused on the design part of things. So it would be your contractor, your general, who might want to do a site walk with you prior to day one. Uh, talk about stuff like this. Where's everybody going to park? Right, Where on the lot, where on that property, would very heavy, heavy vehicles be able to park without damaging anything, right? Um, and not destroy the earth underneath it. Uh, where will materials be stored uh, is key in some major remodels because you might have heavy, long, big loads of things in multiple phases during construction. Uh, so you and the contractor, more specifically, the contractor has to phase material sometimes. Like they'll get a load for the foundation, then that gets built, then they get a load for the frame, and then that gets built, and then they get a load for, you know, whatever the phasing is that that contractor prefers, they might have material stored that way. And the last thing you want to do is keep moving that, that lot around, that materials lot, right? Because uh, then you're just wasting time, you're wasting everybody's uh, labor costs, etc. So establish where materials be, will be stored. Uh, will new utilities be run? Uh, oftentimes, if we're adding on or, do, or creating a new outbuilding or building a you know, brand new garage, you know, four, four bay garage with a rental unit above, now we have to run utilities probably to that outbuilding. So think about the routing of the utilities and what you do to prep that site uh, in preparation for that. You might want to kind of create a barrier knowing that you're going to be in that uh, line of, you know, point A to point B, right? You want to get out to that outbuilding somehow, so you got to prep for it. So these are just some examples of what to prepare for or, you know, be expecting. So obviously, this site, I don't know if you can tell, but it was probably shaved or graded uh, in preparation for the slab pour. And then all this gravel is to help keep moisture out of the loads primarily. It's not necessarily meant to be the finished product, but it helps avoid you know muddy conditions, etc. So this is part of site prep, but you know, this is a you know, maybe a thousand dollars worth of gravel that maybe not in your budget, in your mind, when you think about remodeling a large-scale remodel, it's like this all comes into those costs, right? How do you deal with the cost of uh, site preparation and to what extent, you know, what time of year, etc. So that might have a lot to do with it. Here was an interesting project we did. You know, we were the Greenpoint Raiders on this one. Uh, really a great guy. He was incorporating these SIPS panels for his roof only. Everything else is really thickened walls. I think he's 
I don't know if he went to two by eight, but it was definitely two by six for all his outer walls. But all his roofing, all these uh, large panels were for the roof, but the site itself was on a large hillside. So you can tell by just the precariousness of this outhouse, uh, the very limited footprint he has. So you could see right here how important it would be to understand uh, site prep and staging and the acceptance of materials. You know, you're going to have a a delivery truck show up and say, hey, I got you all your doors. And well, I have nowhere to put them. Well, sorry, dude. We're supposed to deliver your doors. So you have to always be aware of what's coming uh, to your site and, and be aware of that and be uh, prepared for that. So obviously, if we go inside the house, let's say we're doing a large-scale remodel. It's, we got to kind of create some scenarios um, with a the new kitchen remodels includes a living room and maybe a bump out to a new whatever new room new family room. So at some point we're going to have to someone is going to have to clear out that work area right of every personal item etc that you have in there, and that's not necessarily the job of the contractor or anybody prior to day one. That would be up to you and whoever you bring on board to do that work. Um, but I would encourage you to scour that whole zone and then the passageway or pathways to that area from any parking structures or parking areas outside uh, so that you're clearing uh, the whole work area. So there's no complaint about, uh, hey, we couldn't get to it because your closet's full of stuff or whatever. You know, we couldn't get to the attic because it's full of Christmas ornaments, etc. So. Make sure that you're doing all you can to create a clear work area. And then we touched on it a little bit earlier, but create a separate living space if you can. Oftentimes, you know, we all live in three-bedroom, two-bath homes, and you were trying to remodel half of it. There's not much space left. But if there is a spare room, stake claim to it uh, and create a separate living space that's kind of off-limits for you and your family to go watch TV, go unload, you know, go unwind you know put earplugs in if you have to to keep the sound out that's going to be tough to do but at least create a barrier uh, between you and the work zone uh, and then temporary storage what are you going to do with all that stuff that you have to move around right uh, we'll touch upon that and how do you tackle that uh, dust barriers in hallways uh, and by hallways i just mean kind of uh, plastic layered you know lined hallways to help prevent dust migration from the work zone into your bedroom or into your bathroom. And, you know, the worst thing to do is have you know, a large demo project happen and then all that dust travels down the wrong hallway or into the wrong room. So again, this is f falling into site prep, which house is a part of. So make sure that's included in your budget, right? You have to put some money there for either rolls of plastic or some spare two by fours to make these temporary walls, etc., to make this happen. Uh, otherwise, your budget might get eaten into with the site prep stuff and you didn't really realize it and then you're short later on down the line. We're trying to avoid this shock later down the line. So the more we can prepare on the front end, the better you'll prepare on the back end. Uh, and the more house prep, earplugs, gloves, dust masks, etc. if you need, but I would have them on hand uh, if it's going to be that involved. And here's a couple of shots of what we would typically do. The shot on the left is the floor, uh, and 
various contractors will use various project products to temporarily protect the floor. This one is called RAM board. You can see the label right here. Uh, and it's, it's a paper product. It's going to be thrown away at the end of the day, but it's durable enough to withstand work boots and stuff, you know, laid on it, not dropped on it, but laid on it. Um, so it does protect the floor. So this is often included when you see a line item on an invoice, site prep, you know, floor protection. This might be something that's they're referring to. The one on the right is something I like to see when we have uh, trees that exist <clears throat> either in the median, which would be a city requirement, uh, that you protect everything that's you know provided by and taken care of by the city. But also, if this were on your site, I would I would be nice to see this fencing uh, way around the canopy of the tree, or what we call the you know the the umbrella of the tree, right? The, as far as those branches are out. That's typically how far the roots are reaching out as well. So we're trying to protect that root system, if at all possible. So I would have a fence way farther out from the trunk than this is, but at least we're keeping trucks and workers and debris from collecting in this area where the, where the trees are on site. So again, that's part of house prep, right? As part of the prep, uh, sometimes we get caught up in it, right? We get caught up in the the newness of it, the, the, the results that we're going to get, the new, you know, bathroom or the new kitchen with all the new appliances and stuff. And we might forget about the other members of the family, right, and what they have to go through as well. So make sure that you involve everybody and everybody's kind of on board and know what they're going to do and not do uh, during this process. Because I have been on some projects where uh, anywhere from very small kids and infants even uh, all the way up to you know college kids and even young adults uh, that range and so you have different dynamics of when kids are there when they're not there who who's minding them it's not the responsibility of the contractor and this is kind of why I bring this up not to uh, discourage family I, I love family but I'm just saying that that's your family make sure that you are being uh, responsive to the needs of the builders and the contractors to have a, a clear zone in which to work. So make sure that the family understands what the work areas are, where the zones are that they should be and should not be. Um, so you, you kind of get the gist of what that's all about, you know, these work areas. And then how to, depending upon the age, uh, I would definitely have the, a talk with the uh, the foreman or whoever's walking the site and whoever you see most often, uh, how your children might be interfacing with any worker, whether it be that contractor's worker or the subcontractor's workers, because uh, at some point they will interface. Um, it, sh it shouldn't be an issue, but just make sure it's all clear of how that should go. Uh, again, it, just to be delicate, um, make sure everybody's on the up and up and you're very clear about uh, what your expectations are and the responsibilities of both sides, both parties, okay? Uh, there could be and there will be certain times when certain utilities are shut down, either to uh, demo or demolish a certain area of the house or project, and we need a safe area so we shut everything off in that area, so that might include shutting off the house, so be prepared for outages 
hopefully you guys have prearranged that with the contractor so you're kind of clear on okay on these dates remember we're going to switch the panel over so we're going to have a full day no juice or whatever you guys have to have those conversations you know so that's not the day before thanksgiving or what have you so make sure that you're aware that there will be outages at some point a comfort is a little bit challenging right especially if you have anything to do with the hvac system excuse me as part of the remodel process right if you're switching over systems or if you're adding systems you will have times when you might not be able to use the system at all so make sure that a you're planning for that time of year is what i'm thinking but also uh need uh you know you don't want to have a big family gathering during your model your remodel if you can help it i've seen it happen but it's it's not pleasant and everybody has to be kind of a trooper about it but comfort does become part of that equation when we start talking about the hvac system and if you're touching it or not uh, and then again back to the family and pet areas have that space reserved whether it's a second bedroom or the family room down the hall or maybe it's the studio out in the backyard somewhere where the family and pets can kind of go and stay away from the zone right stay away from this uh, busy, usually lots of bodies traveling back and forth and materials flying around and definitely dust and debris and etc. So we need to create kind of this boundary between you guys and the work areas. So make sure that you're creating a space where you guys can get comfortable. It might get noisy, um, but do all you can to prevent dust from getting into these living spaces. And then the, the picture on the right is just different Different stuff to have around, especially the larger the project is, you want to have more of these kind of what we call personal protective equipment, PPE, um, dust masks, uh, safety goggles. If you're walking around the site and they have people up on scaffolding, you should definitely be wearing a hard hat. That's that in the upper left. Make sure you're covering the, the top of your head. That's required on everybody else's production builder site so it's just as important for your project as well so make sure safety is uh, and if you don't see it and you want to see it make sure that thought is known too make sure you tell your contract hey i'm a i believe in the osha rules or whatever and i'd like to see more ppe on site and they'll get the message and sometimes you have to have that discussion if that's important to you okay so let's talk about protections. On the exterior, um, we're talking about areas of the lot or property where you don't want them to park, right? You maybe have a sensitive grass that you don't want them to touch or it's too close to a planting area or vegetable garden, etc. I always want to see, like I said before, some kind of protection around uh, trees and really valuable landscape treatments etc so that there's no concern about somebody walking through uh, to shortcut through to an area or something but also just to be respectful of those those parts of your property that you're proud of and then driveways and sidewalks depending upon what they're made out of uh, they might not be able to be driven on or maybe you're only um, can handle a certain amount of stress or it might crack it you know a heavier truck drives over it and then we have some problems now who's liable for that so if you're going to have a point where you're going to have that kind of traffic have a conversation about that what can we do to protect the driveway right here where we're going to be bringing in loads of lumber 
or trucks are kind of coming in and out every day, right? And same with sidewalks, any kind of walkway, uh, what we call hardscape. You want to make sure that you're thinking about protecting them if you're going to have people or equipment driving over them. And then the utility mapping, as I was saying earlier about uh, running a, a new utility, right, from point A to point B, you might want to have that mapped out and then fenced off so that you're not having to worry about that later on down the line. Here's another shot of that uh, median where we have, it's probably um, city maintained tree lines there, right there at the grass line or the green belt. So they're probably mandating that, but this is just shown as an example of some way to protect uh, at least the trunks of any landscape that you have on site. That's a good thing to do. Here's a better way to do it. Uh, the, the ultra, the additional advantage here is now I get to put materials in there too and have some level of safety and protection. Um, it's interesting here too, did you notice that they have a first aid kit and a fire extinguisher right here, which is kind of cool. But anyway, this is a great fenced area for around these trees uh, to help protect them and also to fence in this equipment, or I'm sorry, uh, product. I get a shot of that uh, area where the trees are to protect the trees so no one can walk in there. The dumpster's out in the street for a few days, got cones to protect it from roadway traffic. Here's a new box being installed. You can see if you knew where this was on your property prior to the remodel, you would have this all mapped out and fenced out so that no one can uh, walk over there and just, you know, be in the way when the guy shows up with his, you know, equipment to dig that out. Okay, on the inside, there's different ways to do dust barriers, right? If you have flat ceilings everywhere, it's really easy to do. But most often, or these days, you walk into houses and there's some vaulted area or some, you know, big open area. And it gets challenging when we start talking about these barriers. Uh, airlocks, I don't know if you know what that means, but just an, an intermediate space to... You know, shake the dust off finally and then get one more clean area before you walk into the living space. Um, but these are challenging, but the, the more involved they get, the more money you have to throw at it. So you have to kind of pick your battles. If this is super important, you have to make sure that everybody knows that and then how much detail you're going to throw at it. Because you could get into plastic and foams and you know, zipping doorways and HEPA filter fans running continuously, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure that you have that discussion because every builder is going to have a different take on what this means, right? Preparing the site or putting up barriers. For some, it's just throwing a sheet over your furniture. And for others, I mean, we got used to just, hey, we're going to create a zone so that we don't have to worry about it. So every day we clean it out all the dust stays in there. It doesn't go down the hallway. So it just depends on the project. This is a sample of something we used to do is, you know, very much control the pressure in the room with fans, etc., so that the dust couldn't go anywhere but either outside or through the filter. Um, most contractors don't do this level of protection, but you can ask for it. You can specify it. I would think about it, especially if I had very small children or elderly people living with me or in the house. Uh, very important because in the demolition phase, you can't really control the amount of dust, but you can control where the dust goes if you're careful. All right, so that's just one way to do it. 
Obviously, there's very simple protections, right? We have some painting going on over here on the left side, as well as the tile setter taking advantage of that plastic that the painter put up as he's painting underneath his E. I don't know if you could see that. Uh, my concern would be, you know, parts flying off the saw right through that new window. Uh, so I would probably put some plywood or something first before I did that. But anyway, I just want to show you, this is not a great example of protection, but it's, it is a level of protection. Uh, we used to wear booties a lot in homes if we were just entering. I think it's a, a good thing to do. It's out of respect, but it's also, you're not bringing anything in and then vice versa. So it's a good way to uh, show respect for your client. Now, if you had that everyday requirement, that could get challenging, especially if you have multiple workers. So you have to be, uh, again, pick your battles. Where would you require these booties and when? You know, maybe at the very last part where you have finished materials on the floor is when I would start requiring booties on site. And you can write that into the contract. There's no reason you couldn't. All right, let's talk about this um, temporary location of the cooking area, which can be a bit of a challenge, especially if we're having uh, your whole existing kitchen is going to disappear, right? Now what? How do, you, how do you feed your family? How do you survive on a daily basis? Uh, and where do you put all that, et cetera? So for some of you, there's not going to be a way to do it, right? There's nothing left. There's nowhere to go. There's no extra room anywhere to push to. So that might be a challenge. For those people, uh, and I've seen it and worked with those people, uh, oftentimes we'll just say, hey, let's just rent a camper. We'll put the camper outside. Let it be the self-contained kitchen. Right, because it'll have everything you need. It'll have the kitchen, the the range, and the fridge, and the bath area, etc. So that became an option. Then they don't have to rent anywhere. They can just kind of go in there for have meals, and then come back in somewhere else and find you know another area of the house to use the living space. So that was one uh, solution. Another one is obviously to create a space that's away from the work areas, that's inside the house, right? But the challenge is always. Okay, how do I operate in a kitchen that needs a drain, it needs hot water, it needs refrigerator, it needs a cooking surface, or some way to cook food or prepare food, right? So lots of different requirements, so it's a little bit challenging when you just try to set up in a bedroom. I've seen it done a lot, but now you have to start thinking about, okay, I'm not going to be able to wash dishes in the bedroom, right? So how do I do that? So oftentimes they'll just take up the adjoining bathroom and then the Unfortunately, that sink becomes the kitchen sink or the bathtub. Um, but just be aware of, you know, okay, you have a, a kind of a list of things to watch out for or account for when you move this kitchen area around, when this cooking area around. Uh, and then how are you going to cook food? The easiest and most often, 99% of the time, it's done electrically, right? Either with a microwave or a toaster oven or a hot plate. Or a you know fry insta fry whatever those things are called, uh, but very seldom would you see a, a lit fire anywhere else but in a kitchen, and you shouldn't anyway. That's kind of why I wrote the uh, carbon monoxide warning here because you don't want to cook anything that's not under a vented space, right? You want to make sure that if you see a flame, you have a ventilation system. So we don't recommend that uh, for temporary kitchen setups. So here's one that they just kind of threw into a space that wasn't being used. We actually ripped out some of the cabinets. 
I didn't. This is an example that we found. Um, but I just wanted to show you how crude it could be, right? It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just to get you through this process. So they were lucky enough to find a sink that they could use. And I don't know if you can see it down here in the lower left, but there, there's a drain that they could tie into and have these two water lines. So there must have been something here before that was a sink setup. So they lucked out. And it looks like they have an old, uh, not an old, but an electric oven here. And I'm not sure. Oh, here it is right here. They do have an electric cooktop as well, that picture on the right. And then the fridge, right? Not a big area, but enough. They have everything they need right here. So the sink, the oven, the cooktop, and the refrigerator. That's about all you need, right? This is what we're getting at. Is when you get kind of, your, uh, kind of the bare essentials of what you think you need, what you actually use, it's kind of interesting that usually it's just like, or for me anyway, the coffee pot and like the waffle iron and maybe one burner. Everything else I could probably do without for a month. Except for, you know, obviously you got to have a refrigerator. And that's a tricky one too. Luckily, they're all 110, so you don't have a 220 problem, which is the voltage of the appliance. But uh, it's just moving the thing around, right? A lot of people just kind of stick it out in the garage and have that be the refrigerator uh, area until the whole thing is done until the new one gets installed in the new kitchen, etc. But uh, I seldom would see the refrigerator hauled all the way down a hallway into the bedroom. Uh, but it happens. And like I said before, it's nice to kind of have that uh, emergency setup just in case in your temporary kitchen or temporary cooking area. Because uh, you never know, right? You don't want to be, you know, futzing around with, how do I put out this fire when, the, when you have this thing going on in this temporary kitchen setup? So make sure that safety is a part of your list of things to do as well. So the easiest thing to do is kind of just take an inventory of what do you use, right? That was kind of what I was getting at is for some people it's, um, I don't know, a toaster oven. Or for some people it's, I got to have my crock pot. For some people it's, I got to have my bread maker. But just now you got to think about space. And that's kind of why I like this picture because it kind of shows you, okay, what if I only had that much countertop? And I had to do all my cooking for my whole family with just that amount of countertop, which is kind of the reality of a temporary kitchen when you think about it. So I kind of want to get you to zoom in and figure out what do I need to have in there? Is there stuff I could just have there and just bring it up as I need it, which is probably what's going to happen. But then, you know, where's all that going to sit when it's not being used? Uh, so you kind of have to do a little evaluation here, right? figure out what do I need, how, how much do I need it, uh, what's, you know, and where can everything else go? And that, that accounts, you know, applies to utensils, you know, plates, cups, you know, everything. What do I need to have with me? Because everything needs to get kind of condensed down. Even though your whole pantry, you should par down just for this short duration, if at all possible. Here's an ugly one. It wasn't, I just found this picture, but it's just interesting how, this might even be a real kitchen actually, but anyway, just ugly as heck, but it has everything. The only thing I'm not liking is this whole, this is kind of what not to do in my opinion. It's like, they do have a sink. They have this old oven with no ventilation, but I guess you could count the windows, but I don't even know if those things open. But anyway, I, 
this would be a bad example of what to do. Or, you know, don't do this. Try to set it up in some kind of uh, hygienic way so that you're not putting your family at risk. This is not the way to do it. Okay, so nice to have, right, is a toaster oven because that's easy. You could do multiple things with the toaster oven besides just make toast, which is the cool thing about the plant in a very small footprint. I'm a coffee drinker, so I need the coffee maker. Some of you, maybe not. Maybe you'd rather have the Brita water picture there or something instead. Air fryers, I'm seeing more and more. Uh, I used to always have a rice maker handy because it was just an easy way to make a pot of rice, etc. So all you need, though, is a sink, something to cook food and make it hot. Don't use gas. Make it electric. That's a bad, that's a no-no when you use the, in this top right here. I need to put an X through that because that's something you should not do in your temporary kitchen. Unless you have a ventilation system in there, don't do this. Now, what I didn't put in here and I probably should have is a barbecue. A lot of people, especially up in Northern California in mild times of the year, will just set up so that their temporary kitchen backs up to a deck and then on the deck they have a barbecue so they can cook meats or vegetables or whatever they do on a hot, right? And they like that versus electric cooking or prefer that, right? So that would be another alternative is barbecues because uh, that is outside, so you're a little bit safer. Now let's get back to uh, creating boundaries. Uh, establishing limits is kind of what you have to do and think about not only the physical stuff, right? Uh, you definitely need to talk to your contractor about where everybody's going to park, where trucks need to come in, where do they need to exit, where can they clean off their tires, where, t where can they clean out the chute of the cement truck. All these things the contractor's thinking about. You might not be thinking about it, but he is, he or she is. And if they're talking about it together, more stuff gets solved quicker and then you're both on the same page and there's no hiccups down the road hey you didn't tell me you were going to do that forget that you now know that you have to think about these things so think about the parking think about the clean outs think about the truck runs think about the city requiring maybe you need to have a certain amount of grates uh, across the driveway it's a really a and i'm not kidding here they might require that and if you don't do it, it's a really heavy fine because you're you're taking the soils off of your lot, it's sticking on the tires of this truck, and it's taking it all the way down the street. So they don't like to see that. So you have to think about what do you need to do for these boundary limits. Um, a lot of it has to do with water runoff, too, especially on larger projects. They have to uh, do a certain amount of site prep to make sure nothing gets drained off of a property uh, to get permits and stuff. And that's very much controlled by the city and the county to make sure that's happening. So parking becomes a part of that. You have some say in the parking issue. For bathrooms, it was a very important discussion to have, right? Because uh, either you are accepting that that bathroom down the hallway could be used because it has an outer door or whatever for all the workers, great. If you don't have anything, then just say that, and you're going to have to provide your own facilities. That's all you have to say. And then that cost is going to have to be rolled into the project. As long as everybody's clear on where and how, etc., it shouldn't be an issue. 
you might have parts of your property that you, you know, that's off limits. Don't go over there or that building or this room, etc. So that needs to be talked about and discussed. This is a big one. I didn't let my guys do this unless they were at least 100 yards away from wherever we were working. And that was the property line, not the house. Um, and then I didn't like it anyway because they just smelled like it if they did smoke. So I'm, I tried to shy away from that, but uh, you can't control all of that. But you can set boundaries. You could say, hey, I'd, I would prefer no smoking within 25 feet of the house. That's a fair thing and perfectly legitimate thing to say. But just know that you might want to have that discussion. Um, and then obviously... They know not to do this, but you need to be uh, assertive and let them know that you know, right? Uh, you know, my kids get home at 4. I'd appreciate all the heavy work being done, you know, earlier in the day. Or, you know, the baby sleeps from here to here. Is there any way we could have a, a silent time or a quiet time? You know, that kind of stuff can and should be discussed, right? Because it's a team effort, and you have to get through this tunnel together. And the more you talk about how you're going to do that, the better. And then, you know, these boundaries of not only the physicalness of stuff, right, but also stay out, right? This is my space. I'm letting you in, but at the same time, I don't like that you're here in my house doing all this work. And that's a legitimate thing to say. They're not being uh, hateful or critical. They just like... Uh, they want their house back. So we have to respect that as contractors. You have to tell us where to go and not to go. And that's part of that boundary discussion, right, of, you know, okay, we're going to be in this house. We're going to work on this third of the house over here. I'm assuming you want this for, yeah, okay, great. So we'll make sure we park all our stuff over here, the materials coming over here. You should have a fairly quiet, okay, great. You know, go through every step so that you guys are really aware of what's about to happen and you've done all you can to prepare your space so that you're, you're ready for when they show up. You can just, like, get out there and direct traffic, or, or they are, or together, you're like, all trucks over there, there's the outhouse over there, here's the tree that you guys have a lunch under, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things, if, if the more detail you throw at it, the more you'll enjoy the success of it at the end. Believe me, I've seen it. It's like, didn't I tell you all that work you did? Didn't it pay off? And, yep, yep. Because otherwise, I've seen probably with this like argument after argument every day. It's like, I told you don't park there. You know, whatever. If you would have had that discussion or signs up or barriers put up, you wouldn't have had a problem. So I'm just encouraging you, site prep, house prep, prep the family, and establish boundaries. Okay? All right. We'll see you on the next module, everybody. Thank you again, and take care, and keep going. Don't give up. All right? See ya.